talk to you today. I have a series I'm going, but I need to depart from my series today. Will y'all let me do that? For those that don't know, I usually teach in series. I'm preaching on the love of God. And this was supposed to be lesson number five. I had all my notes ready. I sent them all to all the people. that I, I have to make three sets of notes every week. So I had them all set, all ready to go. And by the time... Anyway, I told him before I left on Thursday, something's awry, and God's talking to me about something, and I'm not really wanting to do it, but he won't let me off the hook. So can I just talk to you? I don't want to preach. I just want to talk. Can I do that? Uh, I want to talk to you about the contents of my prayer life. Can I do that? Thank you. Uh, I've been in angst for several weeks, and I can't shake it on the inside. Now, if you come to prayer, which few people pray, the truth is few people pray. How many hear me? People give a, a, you know, a, a nod to God on occasion, but not a lot of people do a lot of praying. And friends, it's showing up. So anyway, we had a prayer meeting here. Uh, we have prayer meetings on Sunday night at 6. We won't have one tonight here. I'm talking about lack of prayer. I'm, we're not praying today because we got the picnic till 4. We'll be all wore out and stinky. So anyway, but uh, anyway, so during that, and I've shared some of these things, but I need to share some things in context because there's something inside of me that I simply can't shake, and I, I don't want to, uh, anything to happen, and then you come to me and say, well, why didn't you say anything about it? I'm going to talk. So I have this angst inside about our country and about where we're going. And about what may occur. And it's all just there all the time. And so I've been doing praying on my own. And, and then we've stepped up our prayer time. And because of this, and I shared last Sunday night, and we started Monday through Thursday, noon to one prayer for our country. It's that serious. And I'm not the only one that feels this way. So I just need to set the stage for what I'm about to say and, and let you know we're in a really interesting time on planet earth the, the bible teaches jesus is coming twice the first time he came as a baby in the manger the second time he comes as the lion of the tribe of judah and he comes to put his enemies out how many hear me how many believe that jesus is coming again well the bible says jesus is coming again but the first coming it was it was sweet it was nice he was a baby he fulfilled prophecy you know prophecies that prophets in the old testament had given over 700 years, some of them beforehand, Jesus fulfilled them with his first birth. Now, the uncanny thing is the Old Testament is full of, of uh, prophecies or things that will predict something in the future about Jesus coming back a second time. And, uh, and if every single thing that was said about the first coming of Jesus came to pass, you can bank on it. Everything the Bible said about Jesus coming the second time will come just the way it was written. The, the uncanny thing is his second coming is not going to be as pretty as his first one. But he, he comes to, to slay and make war the second time. He's the, he's the Lord of hosts. Or some translations say Jehovah of armies. And he's coming back the second time to make things right. How many know our planet is, uh, is, has been problemed because of our sin? And uh, because of that, demon forces have been here. Um, Paul called them Ephesians 6, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. God cut a covenant with his old covenant people, 
and basically said, if you'll just honor me, walk with me. He cut a covenant with Abraham, the covenant of circumcision, said, if you'll walk by faith, you'll be able in, in, a, in a large measure to live above the curse that's been placed on the earth and live above the demonic forces that are here to enforce the curse. And you'll be able to walk with me and I'll bless you. And everybody will know you, you, that you're called by my name. And so the, the Jewish race came in, in force and they came in vogue with, uh, with Abraham and his ancestry. And now I got I to fast forward. And then Israel, you know, they, uh, they wanted to be like, they got to looking around at the other nations in the Middle East. I'm bringing up to a point here. They got to looking around at the other nations and they said, well, well they got a king and they got a king and, and they got a king and we don't have a king and, and we need a king. Because that's going to help us. And God said, you don't need any king but me. I will be your God. I want to be your father. And I want to have a relationship with you. He said, no, 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 we got to have a king. So through Samuel the prophet, God said, well, you're going to have a king, but with the king comes problems. So their first king was Saul, King Saul. And of course, you know, he was dispossessed of his kingship because he uh, rebelled against God. How many know rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? He rebelled against God. And, uh, and so anyway, uh, uh, there's Saul, and then David became king after him, and then, and then David's son Solomon became king, and then, and then Solomon had two sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Now, that may mean nothing to you, but what happened after, uh, after Solomon died and his sons took over as king, as king uh, the kingdom of Israel divided. It divided into the northern kingdom, and then there was the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. Now, if you just understand that, if you understand that, then you can read through the Old Testament and kind of get it, right? If you don't understand that, it's like, why am I reading this? And what does this mean? How many understand? But God told, God told all of his people, if you'll just walk with me and obey my voice, and I've t- laid down ten laws for living because you're fallen people, you've not yet been born again, the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of you, you've got flesh problems to, to contend with. I've got these ten rules, we call them the Ten Commandments. If you'll just live by those and honor me, and then when you mess up, give some animal sacrifices, and you know what? I'll blot out your sin and act like you never did anything wrong. And the enemy, those, those, uh, you know, those, those, the hierarchy of demon forces, the principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places, they won't tear up your country and won't mess up your family. So just walk with me. When you mess up, fess up. Got it? Well, you know, for a while they did that, and God blessed them par none. I mean, Solomon was the richest king in all of the world in his day. And, uh, you know, the Queen of Sheba came to see all of this stuff, and lots of other people came to see all of this stuff. Well, God said, but God warned them, if you ever depart from me and you quit listening to what I'm saying, you're going to not inherit blessing, you're going to inherit a curse, and, and you're going to be moved off your land. Well, all of that happened. And how many know that's what the Old Testament is all about? You get it? So, so here I'm reading. Now, fast forward to now. So the past several weeks, I've read Jeremiah, Lamentations. I'm just about finished with Ezekiel. And I've read some of the other major and minor prophets in the Old Testament. And, uh, and for the really, um, I don't know if this ever happened just this way. But as I was reading the book of Jeremiah, I, I'm not kidding. I, I started with chapter 1 and I went all the way through 52 chapters over a period of time. And just kept reading, reading. And every time I'm reading, the back thought is, man, this is eerily similar to America. 
Seems like, seems like we're right here. I mean, God's blessed us. Uh, you know, the, the, the people who came from England and from Europe, uh, they wanted religious freedom. They wanted freedom from an oppressive government. They wanted freedom to think the way we want to think, worship the way we want to worship. And so this government was set up, and then the United States became a, a nation in 1776, and we'll celebrate that in another month, right? So, you know, all that's true, but at the same time, we got problems. And we've departed from the things that made our nation great. I'm actually reading a history book. Among all my other readings, it's 900 and something pages, and I'm maybe a quarter through. But it's really great, and it's talking about the foundation of our nation and what made us stick out in, uh, 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 and above other nations with respect to freedom, personal rights, and things like that. And it's just really interesting to see not everybody was saved, not everybody lived right. A lot of people didn't like Christianity, but, but there was enough Christianity here, enough law, enough right that God was able to bless. How many get it? So I'm reading through Jeremiah, and then I finished Jeremiah, read Lamentations. And boy, Lamentations, Jeremiah is lamenting over what has already happened. Israel has, has, or Judah has forsaken God and they've inherited curse. And everything they don't want is suddenly upon them. And it's a really sad state of affairs. So uh, Jeremiah, let me talk about Jeremiah a minute. Jeremiah was, uh, when he was about 30 years of age, he went into ministry. And Jeremiah's ministry was to warn Judah, the southern kingdom, Judah. <laughs> you need to live right. You need to stop doing what you're doing. Because by the time Jeremiah came, to the earth in, uh, you know, mid-7th century, um, Israelites were, well, Judah was worshiping false gods. They actually had false gods set up in the temple. They worshiped the false gods with sexual orgies. I'm not making this up. You can read history. And they had them all over the place in all the cities. And, the, and they had priests and priestesses. And they were worshiping these false gods. And they just forgot all about God and forgot about God's law. And Jeremiah, when he came on, he was called the weeping prophet because he'd say, you don't want to hear what God's got to say through me, but you got to hear this. You guys need to repent or you're going to inherit a curse and you're going to be taken off the land God promised Abraham. You will leave this land. Unless you repent, you will leave this land. You will not inherit blessing anymore. And they were laughing at him while they were drinking their beverages. And they were laughing at him while they were having sex with everybody other than their spouse. And they were laughing at him while they partied and played and had had a big time and involved in all kinds of frivolity. And they were just laughing. And Jeremiah kept saying, you don't know what you're doing. Finally, the time came. Finally, the time came, Je uh, Jeremiah. Um, in, in Jeremiah, I've got it down here. I don't want to read it because I don't have a lot of time. Jeremiah 14. That God said, Jeremiah, do not pray for these people anymore. When they fast, I'll pay no attention. When they present their burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'll not accept them. I will devour them with war, famine, and disease. And that's exactly what happened. God told him not even to pray for him anymore. And so uh, Jeremiah ministered about 40 years. Uh, Babylon uh, attacked his, uh, Judah uh, three times. Uh, the third time they set a siege. And by 586 B.C., I think uh, Jeremiah's probably about, he's probably about 70 years old or so. And, uh, and Babylon attacked, breached the walls around Jerusalem and and took uh, Israel off into captivity, killed their king and all that, and the rest is history. So I'm reading this, and uncannily, all I mean, I've never really experienced anything quite like this. Every time I, I'm, I'm talking every time I'm reading, y'all, 
Day after day after day, it's like, this is America, you need to pray. This is America, you need to pray. This is America, you need to pray. So uh, it was on my heart really strong. And then, uh, and then, and then um, I read some in Amos. Amos, Amos ministered to the northern kingdom a hundred years before uh, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah ministered to the northern kingdom, Israel, and listen to what Jeremiah said to them. They went through exactly the same thing and were destroyed and defeated by their enemies. Listen to this. Everybody okay? I was fussing with the Lord, saying, Lord, we're having picnic party play today, and I'm talking about this. This is weird. Well, you talk about it. Okay, here you go. So Amos 6, what sorrow awaits you who lounge in luxury in Jerusalem, Amos said. To Israel, and you who feel secure in Samaria, you are famous and popular in Israel, and people go uh, to you for help. But oh, go mention some cities. Go over to Calhoun and see what happened there. Then go to the great city Hamath and down to the Philistine city of Gath. You are no better than they were, and look how they were destroyed. You push away every thought of coming disaster by your actions. Only bring the day of judgment closer. How terrible for you! who sprawl on ivory beds and lounge on your couches, eating the meat of tender lambs from the flocks and choice calves fattened in the stall. You sing trivial songs to the sound of the harp and fancy yourselves to be great musicians like David. You drink wine by the bowlful and perfume yourself with fragrant lotions. You care nothing about the ruin of your nation. Therefore, you will be the first to be led away captive. Suddenly, all of your parties will end. That's tough. But that happened. Assyria, the Assyrian kingdom, I mean, wiped out northern Israel. They were no more. They scattered among the nations. And that happened. Same thing happened to Judah. Uh, Babylonian captivity carried them away to all of the nations of the world for 70 years. And, and what God said absolutely happened. So let's talk about today. Today we're living in a really interesting day. And, and it seems like, and I know every generation since Jesus was raised from the dead has believed that they would be the generation that would see uh, Jesus come back and uh, in his second coming. Every generation has believed that. The first century church believed that. You can read it in the writings, the epistles to the churches. They were expecting Jesus to come back at any time. Um, uh, John, the, the last uh, living apostle uh, of his era in his writings, he thought Jesus would come back before he died, but that's been almost 2,000 years now. So, you know, uh, again, but today... Things are so different. If you know anything about the Bible and what the prophet said about what the time would be like before Jesus comes back, uh, one of the big grand schemes that we know that something is up is that God promised there's about, oh, 15, 20 scripture in the Old Testament that reveal that all, although Israel and Judah left the land of Israel that God promised Abraham, God promised that Abraham that land for eternity. So let me just go straight up and say, I am a Zionist. That means I believe that Israel has a right to the land that they're on in the Middle East. I've flown, I have flown so much all over uh, the Middle East to get to India, to get to Africa and such. And did you know most of the planes that I travel on, you look at the little travel map with the little, little uh, airplane going, you know, going over the nations and it names, they never mention Israel on the map. 
And I always say, that's the weirdest thing in the world. So I must, I must be an odd ball out, odd man out, because I believe Israel has a right to exist and be where they are. 1948, Israel became a nation uh, for the first time in almost 2,000 years, fulfilling many Bible prophecies that said before Messiah returns, Israel will return to their land. They'll be a viable nation. In 1967, after the Six-Day War, they regained the West Bank, Gaza Strip, and control, full control of Jerusalem for the first time in 2,000 years. That's a big deal, y'all. I haven't preached this in a long time, but this is a big deal. And this happened, you know, I was born in 19 years before I was born, Israel became a nation. And then, you know, I was a tot. I was nine years old in 1967. And then Israel got all of their land back. And they've been, they've been mothering and watching over that land for a, a long, long time. So uh, that tells us that we could be the generation that sees Jesus come back. And then beyond that, there's so many other things that Jesus talked about, that Paul talked about. The book of Revelation speaks of things that will be happening on planet Earth before Jesus comes back, that in an uncanny way, we're watching them be fulfilled today. For instance, here's Jesus, just one little portion of Luke 21, and there will be strange signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, and here on earth, nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. That is nature's changing. How many know nature's changing? I just read an article. We've had 50 tornadoes uh, in the last th in, in 30 days, and I think it's I think it may have broken any any recent records. Amazing. So. You know, climate change is producing all kinds of results. People will be terrified at what they see coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power, great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand up and look, your salvation's near. So uh, on the heels of that, let me say this. We are in a, a strange period of time, it seems. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. And, you know, everything that I say is subject to Scripture. But here's what I do know in my studies, and I've shared all of these things at various times. Um, you know, bef before Jesus comes back, things are going to get tough. And judgment is coming to the earth. Most people don't like to read the book of Revelation because it seems so foreboding and gloomy, particularly when you get to Revelation 8, 1, and all of the angels fold their wings and get quiet, and nobody says anything. And then all of the prayers from all of the ages of time waft up into God's nostrils. The prayers of the saints. He smells them as it were. He hears them all over again. How many know God puts your prayers? He puts them up somewhere and he listens to them over and over. Well, for 30 minutes there was silence in heaven and nobody said anything and then 30 minutes later, I mean, a an angel blows a trumpet and then judgments, seven trumpets blow their horn, toot themselves, and I mean judgments happen and, and some really calamitous things uh, happen on planet Earth with respect to the weather, with respect to geology, just terrible things, and it kills a, a lot of people. So when you read that, you go, man, that's really spooky. That's called the day of the Lord. Everybody say the day of the Lord. 
The day of the Lord is not a 24-hour period. It's an era of time that precedes Jesus' second coming. It'll be a calamitous time. It will be a terrible time. Now, I've got notes, and I think they should be on version today. And then this week, they'll follow, and they'll be on our website. But in my notes, I've added an appendix because I just have a few minutes to talk to you, and I've got to make every second count. But in the appendix, I have listed all of the scriptures in the Bible that talk about the day of the Lord. And it's not pretty reading, and it'll scare the bejeebies out of you if you can't be scared. What it does, it scares me right. I want to be right. I want to walk right. I want to do the will of God. I want to hear well done. I want to be fervent spiritually. That's what it makes happens to me. So all of that is in our future. Some real calamitous things are coming to this planet, and y'all, it really ain't pretty. The good news is it seems as though just before the worst happens, Jesus is going to come back and catch us away. That's exciting. God's not appointed us to wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, that whether we wake or sleep, we would live together with him. First Thessalonians 5 verse 9. Is that good news? So see, that's always in my mind, and I know that's in the future, and there's calamitous times coming for for planet Earth. So here's the deal. If you got all your stock on this planet, if you got all of your allegiance to what's happening here, if you got all, all that you hold dear is here, you're going to be sadly and rudely disappointed one day. And that's the reason we need to be warning our neighbors, hey, some calamitous things are coming. They're going to say, they're gonna th- say you're nuts and crazy, but it is coming. So here's where we are. We're in a period, and let me go back and say, you know, when Jesus was raised from the dead, the church age began, right? And so think about it. So you had Judaism, and you had the Ten Commandments, and you had animal sacrifices, and you had priests, and all of that, and you had the, you had the temple that was rebuilt, uh, uh, in, uh, 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 rebuilt in Jerusalem, the Herodian temple, during Jesus' time, and they're, and they're making sacrifices and doing all their stuff, and then Jesus comes, he's raised from the dead, and then, and then his followers, the apostles, they're saying, you don't need to do animal sacrifices anymore. You, you don't need to circumcise your children for salvation. You don't need to do all this stuff. Salvation's by grace through faith. Salvation's by grace through faith. And the Galatian believer said, you nuts. You cr- Wait a minute, they're telling us that we gotta do it all. We got to be circumcised, we got to do animal sacrifices, we got to do good works, and, and Paul had to say, no, 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 you're canceling grace if you try to do it but works, right? So I said all that to say there was a period of time, decades of time, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, that that things were kind of mixed up and you had to figure it out and the people that followed Old Testament law, they found out the age of grace is here, that Jesus' blood nullified the need for animal blood to cover your sin. They're like, man, this is something, this is crazy. This is crazy. And, and it, you know, and so it caused consternation and, and misunderstanding for decades. So they had a, does that make sense? So there was a, go read the book of Acts, man. They were trying to figure all this out. Because it was an in-between time. They were in between Old Testament law and New Testament grace. They were in the grace, but they were still trying to hold on to what was in a similar way. Here we are today. We've been living by grace through faith. We've been, we've been believing God for answered prayer. We're expecting God to do the impossible. We're expecting that. And you should continue to do that. All the while, all the while, the world is beginning to change. And we're leaving slowly the age of grace. And we're entering into a time of judgment. 
Because that's what the day of the Lord is, a time of judgment just before Jesus comes back. And people don't realize it's kind of the, pot, the frog in the kettle syndrome. Frog, cold-blooded creature in cold water. You stick a fire up under him, his blood heats up, and he doesn't know he's about to die till his blood's boiling and he dies. And that's the way we are. Here we are today, exactly in the same place. So we're doing what Jesus said when he comes back. People be eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, doing all the normal things they do. Life, in a lot of ways, will go on as normal. And people won't know until, whoa, suddenly things changed. We're in that period just before the change now. And I hear the Holy Spirit saying, get yourself ready. Can I read something to you? couple of things to read here. Um, I'm, I'm just, you know, going over the things I wrote down actually yesterday morning. Uncanny thing, another weird thing. You know, when you're following the Spirit of God, weird things happen. So I was getting ready to do this, and my computer quit. It's brand new, y'all. Paid a lot for it. And, and so I spent Friday at Apple. It's an Apple laptop. And I had to go fire up my old one and figure it out, and finally it got my nose anyway. Listen to what Peter said about what I just said. Second Peter 3, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last day, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again. For uh, from before the time of the ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood during Noah's time. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. That's the day of the Lord. That's, that's that time that you don't like to read about. Go read Revelation, not now, Revelation 8, Revelation 9, Revelation 10. It's a spooky, scary, strange time. That's what he's talking about right there. And um, then he said they're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. That's during the day of the Lord. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. The day of the Lord is the beginning of this really nasty stuff. Hopefully the rapture of the church will carry us away before the worst happens. How many could expect that? You're not saying much. You're just looking. I get it. Then he says the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. The heavens will pass away while the terrible noise of the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this. What holy and godly lives uh, you should live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along on that day. He will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He's promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while we are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Is that a good word? That's a challenging word, isn't it? So if you believe John 3.16, if you believe the gospel message, if you believe all the other promises of God that we shout and praise God about, this is just as true. But we don't want to accept it. It's still true. Americans don't want to accept it. It's still true. You hear me? 
So, so we're living in a really strange time right now, and things are, things are okay in America financially, but in every other way, they're in absolute turmoil. Huh? If anything ever happens with the dollar bills, then everybody's going to be in angst, right? So um, I said all that, now I want to read this, and I'm about done. Um, Susan has a, a cousin, I think he's a second cousin, Billy Long. He actually founded Covenant Church in North Raleigh. Anybody ever heard of Covenant Church? Well, Billy in the 1970s actually founded that church. Billy uh, lives in Myrtle Beach right now. And, uh, but anyway, he's, we've known he's a family member. We've known Billy and his wife, Lauren, for years, Laurel, for years. And Billy uh, just really oddly uh, sent, uh, I guess, my mail champ or something, sent out an e-newsletter, and I got it in my inbox on Thursday. And I thought, man, this is really weird. And God's saying the same thing to Billy. And I want to read to you what Billy says. So, so Billy started out his little newsletter. I want to read one little portion. Uh, and he started out with Acts 27. I said, I thought, man, this is really good. Here's how he started. Acts 27, 13 and 14. And here's Paul. He's on a boat. Uh, he's in the, in the ocean there around the Mediterranean place, uh, the Mediter- uh, area of Middle East is what I'm trying to say. And, uh, and he's going to Rome, sailing to Rome. And he told him, we got problems with this. Something inside me telling tells me we got problems with the ship. And they said, no, blue skies, everything's good. Let's sail. Cut the rope. Set sail. (laughs) Pull up the anchor. So they left. Uh, When the south wind blew softly, Acts 27, 13, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out to the sea the sail close to Crete, but not long after a tempestuous headwind arose uh, called uh, Eurocladon, I think is the way you pronounce it. Is that right? And all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. And then Billy said this about that verse. The above verse describes the journey taken by the ship on which the Apostle Paul was traveling as a prisoner to Rome. The journey began peacefully with a warm, calm, beautiful weather. But then came the Eurocladon, a tempestuous storm that destroyed the ship, which would have taken the lives of all who sailed on it had not Paul been there to hear from God and guide them to safety. A peaceful start followed by storms of disaster is also, and he talked about, he gave his article. Many of the things I just shared with you, actually, he, he said the same thing in his article. I was like blown away. And then I actually emailed Billy when I read his, I said, I got to let him know what God's been saying to me. And I'm not the only person God's been speaking to, I just know. So here's my responsibility. I just wanted you to know I enjoyed your article. For the past few weeks, I have had, I've had quite an uneasiness inside that I can't shake, and it has to do with the state of our nation, with what may be coming. Recently, I read through the book of Jeremiah Lamentations while reading. My mind kept comparing what we're experiencing now to what happened to Judah when they listened, refused to listen, repent, return to God. And just as you said, I feel that we're in the calm before the storm. As a result of what I feel, I have started... Now, this is what you need to know. I have started a noon to one prayer meeting Monday through Thursday at Victory dedicated to praying for our nation. I was surprised to read your article and see that many of the things I have surmised you have asserted here. I think the Holy Spirit is seeking to arouse an awakening, first of all, in the church. How many believe that? And that I pray will culminate in another awakening in our nation. How many want that to happen? I personally think, and this is my personal opinion, and I could be wrong, but I don't think so. I personally think we've crossed a line and cannot avert what is coming. But we can prepare and be a clarion voice to awaken the slumbering. 
And then I said, I appreciate your article. So then I want to read uh, at the very end of my notes here. I put this down. I copy-pasted from uh, Billy's newsletter. And listen to what he said. It just summarizes so well, and it saves some time because I don't have a lot on Sunday morning. Here's what Billy said in his newsletter I read. He said, uh, we as a nation have lived in relative peace, plenty, and prosperity. Is that true? If you've traveled, you are blessed to be here, right? You know it. Uh, We have been secure, thinking we were exempt from troubles that plague the rest of the world. For us, the south wind has blown softly. But recent national and global events have created a sense of apprehension and fear. We see how helpless we really are in the face of the power and fury of nature. 9-11 reminded us of how vulnerable we are to human wickedness and to those who have malicious intent towards us. We witnessed Hurricane Katrina, the Gulf oil spill, the tsunami in the Indian Ocean. What was that, 2004? The earthquake tsunami in Japan, the earthquake in Haiti, record-breaking floods. That's going on in the midsection of our nation right now. Plus other catastrophes and strange weather and natural phenomena have taken multiple, (coughs) excuse me, thousands of lives. These events came suddenly and ferociously upon people who for the most part were at ease and not suspecting any danger. He says, even now we see conflicts and distresses around the world. Governments gone crazy with spending and debt. The ominous cloud of several global economic, of severe global economic crisis. For the first time in contemporary history, Americans realize that the plagues can come to our own doors. For the first time, we have the sense that our government itself will also be helpless to aid us. We have sailed the warm south, uh, sailed with the warm south wind blowing softly. And in that place of prosperity and security, we have as a nation turned our back on God, laid aside his written word and godly values taught in it. We have called evil good and good evil. We have honored the wicked, persecuted the righteous. We've killed millions of babies in the womb. Uh, how many know the reason we're killing? You know why we have abortion? Do you, know, do you know it's self-centeredness to have abortions? You know why we have abortion? Because people want to have sex anywhere they want to, with anybody they want to, for as long as they want to, without any recourse or responsibility. And so if they get pregnant, kill the baby. Is that utter self-centeredness? How could God smile at a nation that passes laws that protect that? You can't. Sooner or later, something's going to happen. How many hear me? Wow, anyway. Uh, we have killed millions of babies in the womb, rejected God's word regarding morals, lifestyle. We have continued in our religious ritual without stopping to really touch the living God, our creator and Lord. Is it possible that God is trying to get our attention? How many hear what I'm saying? Let me go further and say this. Now, I love homosexuals, lesbian and transgender people just like God so loved the world, right? But if you allow homosexuality, lesbianism and transgenderism to be equal to a heterosexual relationship called marriage and you honor that with the laws of your nation just the way just the way you honor marriage and its sanctity as given by the hand of God to our race then you set yourself up for huge problems it's it's the now a lot of people say this and I need to say this and I don't you can like it or disagree and I'm fine 
But I'm going to tell you what the Bible clearly says. Some people say of homosexuality and lesbianism, and now with the modern era, we have transgenderism. You know, people actually changing their bodies, uh, you know, surgically to be either male or female when they were the opposite before. That's weird, y'all. There's less than 2% of the population that want that. And everybody else keeps their mouth shut because we're afraid of, the, of what may happen to us. My friend, something's wrong. Huh? And I, we don't, we're not mean to people. But you know, we got to tell it like it is and love people in the same way. How many hear me? In the same sentence, tell it the way it is and love people. Huh? And not be vindictive and mean and angry. That's sin. We're to love everybody, right? Jesus was a friend of sinners. He loved them. But you know what? He never compromised. Yes or no? But nonetheless, the homosexuality, lesbianism, along with pedophilia, and uh, bestiality is one of the sins in Leviticus 18 that clearly says the land vomits out its inhabitants because of these sins. A lot of people today are saying they're just like lying and cheating. No, 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 no. They're worse than that because they're moral failures and because they affect family and because they affect the ability of human beings to relate in a family social setting and then, and then pass morals from one generation to another. These are not normal sins. Anyway, sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Then he says it's time for the church to awaken out of its sleep and really, really pray. In these days, the church cannot afford to continue as a nursery being entertained and just enjoying the service. It needs to arise and pour out its soul and heart to the Lord and sigh and cry because of the abominations growing in the land, abominations which will surely bring the judgment of God upon us. And then he ends in, in, his, in his storm at sea, the apostle Paul arose with a word from God that saved everyone on his boat. Maybe the church in this season should touch God in the same way and arise as a light in the darkness and speak a word of salvation to a generation that is beginning to feel the insecurity of a threatening storm. Is that good? So y'all, I mean, he summed up and uh, he said it better than I think I could. I can't, I can't better that. We're, we're living in a, a, a strange time and, and we're being asked to shut our mouths and not call things as they are. And one thing that's come to my mind as I close is there is tremendous deception today. You know, back when I was a little boy, I learned as I read and listened to people. And we had, we had some people come to our church uh, from behind the, at the time, the Iron Curtain, the Soviet Union. Some, some uh, military people that defected came to our church and spoke to our Christian school in the large church where I was on staff. And they would talk about, you know, they would talk about all kinds of things. And he said, if you want to keep your nation, keep your morals. But then during that same era of time, I found out that, that, that there was a dissemination of information behind that iron curtain. You had, you had TV studios that would say things that were not true. So everybody would be brainwashed to believe things that aren't right. My friends, that's happening right now. And a lot of people are swallowing the Kool-Aid. And I'm not kidding. And you know what causes you to be open to deception? Moral depravity. Sin hardens our heart and keeps us from hearing the Holy Spirit. 
That's why God constantly said to the Israelites, harden not your heart. Harden not your heart. What happens when you do what you know is wrong and do it anyway? You harden your heart. What happens when you harden your heart? You become susceptible to deception. The first thing that Jesus said about this era of time we're living is, is take heed that no person deceive you. So I said all that to say, y'all, it's, it's time to really get, I know we're going to play today. I get it. At the same time, it's time to get serious with God. If you haven't developed a prayer life, if you're hiding sin in your life, if you've got hidden sin, 1 Timothy 5, the apostle Paul said, some men's sins are open beforehand, but others are hidden. And they'll be revealed one day. Y'all, we have a window of time. Here's where we're at. This is a window of time to get your heart right with Jesus. I mean, really. If you're doing things or wanting things that you know are wrong, this is the time to say, God, I want that and I don't want to want that. Huh? If you're secretly involved in anything, get rid of it. If you're a secret alcoholic or drug addict or porn addict, huh? You're secretly involved in things and nobody knows. You're stealing money and nobody knows. You're lying and nobody knows. You're doing stuff wrong on your tax, on your taxes and nobody knows, friend. Now's the time to make it right because we're entering into a season of judgment and when the judgment comes, that which is wrong will be exposed. How many get it? That's a tough word, but it's true. So I don't know about you, I'm cleaning house for me. How many, I'm saying, God, I'm turning over every rock I'm looking under it and saying, God, is there anything there that I need to deal with in me? This is a time to do. And it's also a time to say, God, have mercy on the United States of America. And have mercy on my friends and the people that I know. And it's a time to pray for the people that you know in your life that don't know the Lord. You say, well, that's just the way they are. No, Jesus wants to change the way they are. How many believe that? And then invite them to church. Invite them with you here. If you don't know what to say, well, come with me. And let's, let's let God do something in you, right?